For the past number of weeks here in South Dakota, there's been a lot of things in the news, but one of the things that has caught my attention is this legal dispute between the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe and the Ogallala Sioux Tribe and the state of South Dakota. Um, the dispute has to do, if I understand this, the dispute has to do with whether or not the tribes, the Sioux Tribes, have the right to restrict travel on state and federal highways through their the Indian Reservation, in order to protect their people from the coronavirus. Now, the dispute comes down to this. This dispute comes down to this. Are the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe and the Ogallala Sioux Tribe, are they sovereign nations? Or are we just pretending that they're sovereign nations? Because if they are sovereign nations, then they have every right to restrict who comes onto their... They have every right to build a wall around their country if that's what they want to do. It's their nation. It's not our nation. It's their nation. The, uh, Webster describes the word sovereign like this. Possessing supreme power and having undisputed supreme authority. So if they are, in fact, sovereign nation, then that's the end of the dispute. They can do what they want. It's their country. They have supreme power. That's what the word sovereign means. The Bible teaches us, and this is what I want us to focus on this morning, the Bible teaches us that God is sovereign. Okay? Say that with me. God is that was only half of you. We're going to say it again. Say it with me. God is sovereign. Since we live in a democracy, and this is part of our problem, why we struggle with coming to understand that God is sovereign. Because in a democracy like we live in, we vote on everything. Nobody tells us what we're going to do. Nobody tells us what we're going to believe. We determine that. We live in a democracy, and we're in the habit of voting as a way to express our opinions. We vote on whoever we want to vote on when it comes to political choices. We vote on whether we approve or not approve a school bond issue. We vote on whether or not we want to increase the sales tax in order to do what? To supposedly improve our lifestyle here in South Dakota. We vote on everything. But let's understand this. God and his sovereignty, that's not up for a vote. God is sovereign. God is sovereign, and it has absolutely nothing to do with whether you agree with it or not. He's sovereign. It has absolutely nothing to do with whether the majority of the people believe it or the majority of the people don't believe it. He's still sovereign. God's sovereignty is a biblical doctrine that helps us identify who God is and what he does. And it has nothing to do with whether you and I agree with it. Let's look at how, remember how Webster defines sovereignty? Possessing supreme power and having undisputed supreme authority. Take your Bible. Let's go for a walk. Let's look up a number of verses here. We're going to take and pause on each one of these. Turn to Proverbs chapter 21. Proverbs 21. And all these verses are going to 
remind us once again that God is sovereign. Proverbs 21, verse 1. And I'm going to read this one, not in the English Standard Version, but I'm going to read this in one of my new favorite translations called God's Word. And it says this in my translation. The, let's go slow. Listen to this. The king's heart is like streams of water. Both, now what does that both mean? Both, we're talking about the king's heart and streams of water. And then the, Solomon says this, both are under the Lord's control. He turns them in any direction he chooses. God is sovereign. You and I are not in control of anything. Even though you want to think you're in control, we're not. Right, Scott? We're not. God is in control. Turn the page. Go, go back into Psalms. Psalms 103, 19. 103.19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Any question? His kingdom, it doesn't say his kingdom rules over part of the world. No, his kingdom rules over all. Turn the page. Go to Psalm 115, verse 3. Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. God is sovereign, my friends. He's the one who's in charge. He's the one who's in control. It's not us. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Turn the page again. Go to Psalm 135. Psalm 135. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Verse 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Go back to the New Testament. Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, verse 18. Now I'm going to leave the English Standard Translation again, and now I'm going to go to New Living Translation for one verse. Romans 9, 18. So you see, God chooses to show mercy to some, and he chooses to harden the hearts of others, so they refuse to listen. That is not up to me and you. That's up to God. He's the one who's sovereign, not us. He's in control. And go back farther in the New Testament to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. Ephesians 1.11, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We are predestined according to him who works. We've got a lot of different translations here this morning. Does anybody have a translation that says, who works some of the things according to his will? No. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. God is sovereign. That's who he is. Now there are, you and I and the other 7 billion people that live in this world, in addition to us in this room, we have tried to come up with words to describe who God is. Can you imagine the, the, uh, the uh, complexity of that? Trying to come up with words that describe God. Somebody comes up and says, who is God? Well, 
how, how do you even begin to describe that? But we have, over the course of time, come up with 15 or 20 words, and in our feeble attempts, we're doing our best to describe who God is. And these words, 15 or 20 of them, and some people think there's closer to 15, and some people think there's 21 or 22, these are called attributes, attributes of God. Now, let me just walk us through, let me just walk us through slowly, well, faster than slowly, but I want us to just give you an idea of how we try to describe who God is. He's bigger and more complex than anything you and I can come up with when it comes to describing it. But it's words like this. God, here's the first one. God is eternal. Just like that song we sang. Who was and is. What's the next verse? You don't want me to sing it. Who was and is and is to come. Is that he's, God is eternal. He is, you know... What we should all do is commit ourselves to meditating on these one at a time, meditate on this for a whole week, and then next week meditate on the next one. When it says God is eternal, it means he has always existed, and he always will exist. My dad, bless his heart, he's been in heaven now for nine years. He, used to, he asked me this question, well, who created God? Try and answer that to somebody. But God is eternal. Here's another one that we talk about. God is mercy. God is good. God is grace. He's holy. God is holy. He's not just filled with holiness. He is holiness. He's just. He's love. He's, here's an here's a interesting word. He's, we use these words omnipotent. It's two words shoved together. It's omni, which means all, and potent which means powerful. He's omnipotent. He's omnipotent. He can do anything. Just imagine this. He, there's nothing that he cannot do. We bring these prayer requests before him. God, he chooses. Which ones is he going to answer the way we think they should be answered? Which ones is he going to answer the way he thinks they should be answered? I'll tell you the answer to that. He's going to answer every single one of them the way he thinks they should be answered. He's omnipotent. He's, he's omniscient. There's two words again. It means he, he knows everything. He's all-knowing. Anything that's knowable, he knows. So he's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. You and I can only be one place at the same time, right? I mean, you were either here or we're somewhere else. But that's not who God is. God is here and somewhere else. He's everywhere, and not only is he every, he's everywhere at the same time. So he's in Sioux Falls, and he's in Hong Kong, and he's in Manila, and he's in St. Paul, and he's in Dallas, Texas, and he's in Rio de, Rio de Janeiro, in South America, he's everywhere at the same time. He's eternal. He's mercy. He's good. He's grace. He's holy. He's just. He's love. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's righteous. He's unchangeable. And he is sovereign. 
He is sovereign. Being sovereign means that God is absolutely and completely free to do whatever, whenever, and wherever he wants to do anything. He's not restricted by you and me. He wants to do something to carry out his eternal purposes in every single detail without any interference from you and me. It means that God does not need to consult with me. He doesn't need to consult with you. He's going to do whatever, whenever, and wherever he wants to do it. Let's remember this. And I remember we used to talk about this in Sunday school class week after week after week. We report to him. He doesn't report to us. God is subject to no one. He's influenced by no one. Absolutely independent from everyone and everything. God does as he pleases, only as he pleases, and always as he pleases. No one can stop him. No one can deter him. Part of the challenge of believing this is the fact that you and I live in America in 2020, and we are constantly being bombarded by words and phrases developed by the world, words, phrases, and opinions that can easily give us the impression that we're in control and that God is not in control. And we're being blasted by this 24-7. All these, some of us are old enough to remember this old guy singing Frank Sinatra, and he used to sing this song, I Did It My Way. Really? Really? I wonder if two seconds after he took his last breath and he stood before God to be judged, I wonder if he then realized there's a difference between his way and God's way of doing things. Muhammad Ali, I am the greatest. Really? There again, two seconds after he took his last breath and he stood before God to be judged for all eternity. I wonder if then he realized he wasn't quite as great as he thought he was. So I can stand here and I can point fingers all day long at Frank Sinatra. And I can stand here all day long and point fingers at Muhammad Ali. But this next one, I need to stop and point fingers at me. I love going to Burger King. And you know what? One of their most famous advertising schemes, uh, mantras is, you can have it your way. Really? And that's exactly right. I can go there and order my Whopper and my cheeseburger and anything. I can have it my way. So you hear this stuff. And I would guess if you watch TV for an hour today, some hour next week, you will hear an advertisement that, oh, my, it, it gives us the impression that we're not in charge of anything. I mean, we are in charge. I'm doing it my way. I'm the greatest. I can have it my way. But because we hear this, we we begin to change the way we're supposed to think. Those little things out there are not as innocent as we might think. I had an advertising executive tell me, he said, Steve, in the advertising business, you need to tell somebody 21 times. You need to give them the same message 21 times before they get it. And then every time you tell them after that 21st time, it begins to change the way they think. Now, we live in a world that is telling us that we're in control. And they keep telling us that over and over. And and it's hard to protect yourself from that. And this is a, just a part, this is just a part of what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 12, 34, when he says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance, 
He's not talking about the heart that pumps the blood. He's talking about the heart. He's talking about the mind. Out of the ab- you fill your mind with enough junk. And the next thing you know, that's what you're talking about. Out of the abundance of the heart, out of the abundance of the mind, out of the abundance of the things that influence my life, that's the way I begin to think and act. It's part of what Jesus is talking about. There's more than that in 1234. But Let's look at the sovereignty of God from just two perspectives, and then we're going to stop. Number one, God knows what's going to happen even before it happens. Turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 13. James 4, 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Let's just stop there. If you live in South Dakota, you know exactly what James is talking about. You're a mist. You go outside on January 15th and you blow your breath. And that's that mist. It just disappears. That's what our life is, my friends. We think we're in control of things. We're in control of nothing. We are just... Then it's gone. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and that. As it is, you boast in all your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Even though we brag about what we're going to do this week or next week or next month, I mean, just imagine the scenario you... Your family likes to go camping, and so you ask this other family, hey, you want to go camping some weekend in July? No, we can't. We're busy every weekend in July. Really? That's how we think we're in charge. We're, we're plan, we make plans. I'm like you. I've got things planned more than a year from now. They're already on my calendar. But the truth is, I don't know what's going to happen a month from now. I don't know what's going to happen next week. There's not a person in this room that knows what's going to happen 10 minutes from now. Not even 10 minutes. Think of how different your life would be if you knew what was going to happen just 10 minutes before it happened. Wives, let me ask you this. What if you knew your husband was going to have a serious heart attack 10 minutes from right now? Well, you'd be on the phone calling 911. The EMTs would show up here at church. And if they're on time and there's no traffic, they can get you in the ambulance and almost get you all the way back to the hospital before you have the heart attack. If you knew that was going to happen just 10 minutes before it happened. But we won't. We don't know that. What if you knew, what if you knew 10 minutes from now or 10 minutes from when church is over that up here on 26th and Marion Road there's going to be some lunatic driver that's just out of his mind and he's coming crashing through that corner 26th and Marion Road at about 70 miles an hour and he's going to run into cars and there's going to be car parts flying and bodies flying. What if you knew that was going to happen? Well, if you knew that was going to happen, you just, well, let's go around the block the other way. But we don't know what's going to happen 10 minutes from now. And that brings us to point number two. Not only does God know what's going to happen, he knows what's going to happen 10 minutes from now, but not only does he know what's going to happen, he's also in absolute control of everything that's going to happen. 
Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Here's that verse we talked about 20 minutes ago. For Isaiah 46, 9. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. I tell you, every time I read that verse, I'm just, it blows my mind that there is a God who's in absolute control of everything. And part of his omniscience is that he knows how things are going to end before they even begin. He knows the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done. Saying, my conscience shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Or turn with me to Isaiah 55. These are great verses. Isaiah 55, beginning in verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it Bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. When things happen that don't make sense, we have to remind ourselves, it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Things happen in life that make no sense. If we had the time, which we don't have, I'm certain that we could start over here with Tyler and we could go up and down the row and ask every person in the room to tell us about a situation somewhere in your life history where something happened that made little or no sense. The room could tell a story. And yet God is still in control. If we dwell on the world, on the message that the world is sending, how we're supposed to be in charge and nobody's going to tell us what to do, we begin to dishonor God with the way we think about things. But if we allow God's word to transform us, if we allow God's word to transform us, it changes the way we think and act. And by faith, we begin to accept the biblical principles. And especially the principle that says God is in control. And he has a plan, and he has a purpose for everything that happens. Once we saturate our minds with these things, we begin to see things from the way God sees things. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world. You know know what the being conformed to the world would be? Trying to convince ourselves that we're in charge. Paul says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, then there's that verse from Romans 8, that all things work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. I can't, uh, I really struggle with that verse. I don't think that verse has anything to do with what's happening right now. I think maybe, just maybe, if God gives you the grace and you've got one minute to live in your life and you are whatever, and you can look back over your life, maybe, just maybe, at the end of your life, you can look back at Romans 8 and see how all things work together for good. But there's no promise in Scripture that that's going to happen one minute before you die. I think it's more like 10,000 years from now when we're rejoicing in heaven. Then, 
then we may be able to look back and see how all things work together for good. But don't tell me when my life's falling apart. Don't tell me that Romans 8.26 applied. No, I don't want to hear that. Because that verse has nothing to do with what's happening right now. It only has to do with when we look back over our life. In fact, give me 10,000 years to look back, and then you can come up and bring the Apostle Paul up, and he can explain what that verse really means. Instead of taking the words and phrases from the world and allowing them to impact the way we think and act, you and I should be saturating our minds with God's Word, filling our mind with God's Word, not filling our mind with the Argus leader, not filling our mind with Kello TV, or Rush Limbaugh, or anybody else that's out there. Don't fill your mind with that. If I ask for a show of hands, how many spend more time listening to Rush Limbaugh than we do reading the Bible? I don't even want to see your hands. What was that? Rush who? But that's the world we live. I've got a life filled with things that make no sense. Part of being a pastor is you get, you get involved in people's lives. And um, I remember a few, Sharon knows this situation well. I remember it's probably, um, let's see, I don't know, 10 years ago. I did a funeral for a young Christian woman, uh, 35, maybe she was 40. I knew her well because she was my admin assistant at church. She died of cancer. How does that make any sense? She's married to a non-Christian, and she's got two little girls, age four and six. As I thought about that this week, I... her husband came to church once a year. He came on Christmas Eve. That's it. So if there's anybody living in fantasy land that thinks he's now going to change the way he's living and he's going to show up every Sunday with those little girls in Sunday school, it didn't happen. And last week as I thought about this, I, I can, you know what, I can still, even right here now, I can still close my eyes. I can still picture those two little girls in that funeral. Age four and five or four and six, whatever it was. How... How does that make sense? How can a loving God allow something like that to happen? And the, the only thing I can do is go back to Scripture and understand that He knows the end from the beginning, that He is in absolute control. He doesn't do things so that Steve Anderson can understand them. He does things that make sense to him. There's a part of me that says little girls lead a mo need a mommy in their life. And yet, and yet she died of cancer. I thought about the day I got the call from the county sheriff. There had been a car accident just outside of town, and one of our high school seniors from church was killed in a car accident on his way to school. He'd been a part of our Sunday school. He'd been a part of our youth group. His mom and dad had never come to church. First time I met them was soon after I got that phone call, I went to their house. 
How can a God who's in absolute control of everything that happens allow something like that to happen? I did another funeral when we were in Minneapolis. I did a funeral for a woman who was walking along the, uh, I don't know if it's called sidewalk or the blacktop, and she got hit and was killed by a snowplow. Just a young gal. You know, I, I, I can ask myself all day long, how can a God who's in absolute control of everything that happens allow something like that to happen? I did a funeral for a woman who died from cancer who had two girls in high school. I, I mean, there's a, there again, there's a part of me that says these girls, these young girls in high school, they need their mom. Then I did a funeral a couple years ago for a guy um, who died of bladder cancer, same cancer I had. How does God choose? How does God choose that he dies and I live? I don't know. I know this, I can go through life, and you can go through your own life, and you will, in trying to make sense of all these things. It does not make sense. If I ask the question, how does this make sense? The answer is it doesn't make sense. But as difficult as these situations are for us to understand, let's remember, God is sovereign. And he has a plan and a purpose for everything that happens. When we live our lives based on faith in God and acceptance for what God chooses to do, I can promise you this, the world is going to be watching. Because when we accept these things from the hand of God, and the world sees how we live, they're going to pay attention because we are responding to things 180 degrees different from the way the world responds. Let me close with this verse. 1 Corinthians 19.11 says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you were exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you. I like that verse. Both riches and honor come from you. I, I can always picture these people I know who, who can't hardly pat themselves on their own back fast enough when they think of all that they've earned and all that they've established in life. And Look at all I've done. Look at all I've got. They, oh, yada, yada, yada. And the, this is just a reminder. Both riches and honor come from you. It's not about us. And you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And in this verse, and we close. And now we thank you, our God, and we praise your glorious name. Because you, God, and you alone are sovereign. That you are in absolute control of everything that happens. And this week, you may run into another situation where something happens that makes little or no sense and we need to remind ourselves and pray for each other that the peace of God would just flow in and out and through our lives and that the joy of God would flow in and through us as we accept God's perfect plan for our life. Now let me close with this before I pray. It was on February 9th, 2019. Can you picture that day? February 9th, 2019. It was a Saturday. 
and I met with the deacons from Cross Point Church, and we talked for two hours about the possibility of me being the interim pastor here at Cross Point. Neither the deacons nor I were sure this was going to be a good fit. But we all trusted God, fully believing that he was in control. That was 16 months ago. Today's our last Sunday. And I hate to say goodbye. But you need to hear from me and from Sharon. It has been a privilege. It has been a privilege to be your pastor. This has been a wonderful experience for us. It's been a privilege to worship with you. It's been a privilege to sit in that Sunday school class and for a number of months have the opportunity to lead the class. It's been a privilege to stand out here in the lobby and have a thousand conversations with you. Every one of you. I've talked to every person at this church. It's been wonderful. But our time at Cross Point has now come to an end. Trey is going to be preaching the next couple weeks, and within a day or so, we should be able to announce when the last Sunday for Cross Point actually is, and when that means if the vote is in favor that we're going to be adopted by Connection Church. But before I pray, I want you to hear this, and I want you to hear this from me. If there's ever anything that Sharon and I can do for you, ever, Call us. Let us know. We want to help. We love you guys. That's the problem when you stay 16 months. You fall in love with the people in the church. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I don't know what's going to happen. Thank you, Dave. I don't know what's going to happen in this dispute with the state of South Dakota and the Sioux Indian tribes. I don't know, but I know this. God is in control. And he already has it figured out, so what do I need to worry about it for? I don't know what's going to happen in the next few weeks with all these racial problems and riots and all this junk that's going on in our country. And even though there's plenty of moments when you wonder, is God still in control? I go back to scriptures and read those verses and I remind myself, yes, God is in control, even when it looks like he's not. And he loves every one of us more than we love ourselves. He's got a plan and a purpose for everything that happens. And his desire for us is that we trust him. Instead of trying to fix things and figure everything out, let's just trust him because his plan is perfect. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you again for the privilege we've had to come together and to open your word. And Lord, this morning as we remind ourselves once again that you are in absolute control, even when things make little or no sense, God, we want to believe from the bottom of our hearts. Give us the faith to believe that you are in absolute control. You don't go to sleep. You don't take vacation. You don't take days off. You're always there. You always hear our prayers. You always love us. It never changes. You are always in control. And we thank you for being a sovereign God. Thank you for allowing Sharon and I the privilege to be a part of this church family for the past 16 months. Thank you for all the wonderful people here, the wonderful people who come together and worship you and love each other and care for each other. We ask that you'd continue to help us as we walk through our own lives. Help us to be quick to confess and repent our sin and 
and to confess our disobedience. And God, give us the desire to walk closely with you. Thank you for allowing each one of us to be called your children. And Lord, even though we don't know what the path for all of us together is going forward, we know and we believe that we are and will always be thankful that you are in control. And we ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.